right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 156. It's Tuesday night. This is when we always like to hear from you. So if you get a chance, go ahead and hit request, and we'll get you up here to talk whatever you want to in college football. Obviously, week one is in the books, along with week zero before that. But so much to talk about. I mean, let's see here. Uh, if, again, if you want to join, just hit request, but I'll go ahead and kind of look through a few of these topics. I mean, the, some of the upsets, the one that, you know, number one in my head, I'm going to just start with the Texas State upset over Baylor. That was an interesting one to see, only because with all the conversation about what Deion Sanders did to completely redo the roster at Colorado, and obviously no one's ever come close to what he did in terms of replacing that and seeing what happened at TCU, at least for now, has made that seem like a good idea. The other program that did a major, major roster overhaul was Texas State with G.J. Kinney when he went over there from Incarnate Word. That was a big move. It seemed like a good hire. And he really did a major um, uh, program overhaul, not quite at the level of Colorado, but it was second. And what did we get out of it? We saw what happened to Baylor. So it's interesting to see if those two programs have this initial success in ways that both embarrassed Big 12 teams, but also got the, some national attention. So if this continues on during the season, if these weren't just sort of flash-in-the-pan moments, I think we're going to see a lot of coaches taking a harder look at how quickly they can rebuild a roster to to get some success. But I see we have someone who wants to join the conversation again. This is RCFB Talk 156. My name's Bob Akairi. Uh Sullen Maximus, I'm going to go ahead and let you up. Once you get up here, and I know there's a bit of a time jump when people do join, we'd love to hear your thoughts. What's going on? <laughs> Just have to hit unmute. It's in the bottom left. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just was, uh, I, I wanted to get your opinion on something with the Big 12 uh, situation going on right now. Uh, a lot of discussions been going on whether or not they're going to go to a division or a pod system or divisionless altogether. And there's been one uh, particular setup that I've been talking about on the servers on Discord, and I've seen a couple people mention. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. It's called uh, a couple different things, but the most common I've seen is the round robin plus three system. And it's similar basically to a pod, but except for instead of having a pod for each set of teams, each team has three kind of dedicated teams that they're paired with every year. But the difference from that in a pod is that it doesn't have to be the same three teams for all three of those opponents. Are you familiar with that at all? Oops, sorry. I've heard this version before, but um, and it could be interesting because, again, you get that. It sounds like it helps you protect some of those those important cross-divisional rivalries. Yeah, well, I mean, because uh, I've been – sorry, I'm an engineer, so I'm a big uh, statistics kind of guy. And, I'm like, one of the things I've been looking at is, like, you know, some of the cross-division or cross-rivals and just in general ge geography. And one of the big ones that stands out is Iowa State. And the reason is because I've been looking at their kind of pair-ups and what other people have been saying. And I, Iowa State is essentially the pod buster. You know, everyone who's been talking about how great pods are, Iowa State basically screws everything up because they essentially have a rivalry with Kansas State. But Kansas State, you know, and it's the current longest uninterrupted, you have to say that, uh, Division One rivalry. 
in in the country. Uh, a lot of them got messed up from COVID, but the Kansas State, Iowa State one is still going. So they want to keep that going. The problem, though, is no one else from that part of the country really wants to be in a pod with them. Uh, Kansas doesn't really care about them. So all these talks about putting them in a pod with the original Big Eight, a lot of those guys are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. They'd rather play some teams from Texas. And at the same time, West Virginia would love to have Iowa State because they've been kind of building that as the riot bowl unofficially. Um, and it'd be another close team for them. And so basically then, you know, you can have these games where they're rivalries. Iowa State can play Kansas State, but they don't have to be in a pod with Kansas and Colorado and Oklahoma State. They can have other teams. And I'm just kind of curious what, you know, what your thoughts are on that, if that's something you could see happening. I think it'd be great because it it actually works amazing um, instead of having pods or divisions because divisions just suck. You're only going to probably get two games a season against the other division unless you go to the championship. Sorry, I know that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, it's an interesting. No, 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 no. And, and you know, this is where a lot of the, I think, the future topics within, because now that we're kind of settling in, at least on the major conferences, um, especially the largest ones being, of course, the SEC Big Ten, SEC Big Ten, and, and of course the Big Twelve. Um, and I guess the ACC is going to have this conversation now pretty soon. Is what to do with all of these teams and how to break them up? Because I mean, yeah, pods was the initial thought, but you're right in terms of these divisions. Because I mean, I love Farmageddon, Kansas State, or Iowa State as much as anyone, um, and I really hope that one sticks, just like the Riot Bowl for West Virginia. But um, I, I'm not, you know, I'm wondering if they're going to keep toying with it, keep tinkering with it. I, I don't know if anyone's necessarily going to be super committed to any one style of breaking apart these conferences into sort of manageable divisions or, or pods again. Um, but I, it doesn't sound like a bad idea, particularly it solves exactly the problem you said, which is the fact that teams do want to play in Texas for a lot of reasons. I mean, recruiting and a lot of other aspects to, to be in the hotbed of the Big 12. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, trying to preserve some of these rivalries where people don't want the package deal to be in the pod with them. Yeah, um, and I mean, yeah, like teams like West Virginia, they're going to have a real weird situation. They want as many close games as they can get. They want Iowa State, they want Cincinnati, and they definitely want Central Florida. West Virginia will probably donate a child to make sure UCF is on the schedule <laughs> every year because they recruit from Florida no, like, like nobody's business. Florida has always been West Virginia's hotbed. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, it allows you to be flexible to meet the needs of everyone without having to lock them in. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'm, what are, at this point, is there a, a popular version? Is there a popular approach to these divisions that seems to be taking the lead or is it still in these kinds of discussion phases? I mean, I, I've only seen stuff in terms of the discussions and everyone I've seen pods and I've seen divisions and nothing works like the three round Robin plus three. Not, nothing I've seen works nearly as well as that because, you know, just, just to like imagine a situation, West Virginia has Iowa State, they got UCF, they got Cincinnati. That's their three guaranteed every year they're going to play them. Iowa State has West Virginia, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State or something, or maybe a Texas team. Uh, you can then get the flexibility where like Utah, for example, they play BYU, Arizona State. And Colorado, which, by the way, that rivalry might get pretty big if Colorado keeps doing what they're doing. Um, and then 
you know, Arizona State can keep Arizona. They can have, I think they had a border war with Texas Tech at one point in time that they're really looking forward to. So they could have that as their dedicated game. But basically allows everybody to have three dedicated, yes, we're going to have this every single year, which works for rivalries, works for regionalism. And then uh, under that system, you would still play every team in the conference twice in a four-year span with one home and one away. That's an interesting one. Yeah, no, I've, I've never, I, I'll be very curious to see how that develops. And, and by the way, you made a reference to the border conference, that classical conference where it was, yeah, it was Arizona's were in it. It was New Mexico State, UTEP, Texas Tech. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a nice throwback to that time. But that's an interesting one. I'm curious to see how that develops out. I'm sure, especially as things are settling, especially now that the Big 12 has said they've settled on their conference membership. It'll be really interesting to see how they how they go about dividing it because I think we're going to see potentially several different approaches from the various conferences and I'm sure they're going to be willing to to be flexible on that and not overcommit to sticking with it even if it doesn't work. But yeah, um, yeah, and I mean like Colorado's another one because Colorado would love to have Kansas State. They want they have I I have a lot of Colorado fans. They have been looking forward to Kansas State for a while because that was their biggest rival next to Nebraska when they were part of the Big Eight. And so they are super stoked about that. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I cannot wait to see this Nebraska Colorado game. Is that that game oh, jumped man. into the forefront? I, oh, yeah. With what? I mean, because I was at the, uh, I was in the press box for Nebraska at Minnesota. And it was, that game was, I don't know if I can necessarily tell you which team was going which direction because they were. They were playing close, and it, I mean, Nebraska definitely looked like they were putting a lot on the shoulders of their QB Sims, but Minnesota wasn't exactly, I mean, and Minnesota's QB looked fine, but they just, neither offense could quite get in the end zone. So this, it's a classic, like, were they good at defense or were they awful at offense? And I guess we're going to have to wait a few games. And now the excitement of seeing Colorado and what their <laughs> offense can do. And their defense theoretically can't really do, because I mean, it's not like Texas Tech was blown out on the, on the other side of the ball. I this is going to be an exciting game. I can't wait to see it. I mean, I was reading the tickets for it are now like a minimum of 300 something bucks and they're blood rivals. As I've said before many times, uh, no one realizes how much those two teams genuinely dislike each other, especially given the fact that Nebraska fans have such a well-earned reputation for being nice, except the one game I went to in Lincoln as a visiting fan. I was surprised by even though it wasn't Colorado, all the effigies of Colorado that were going around. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the team they don't like. So, man, that's hype. That's 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 a classic rivalry, and I'm glad to see it back. Yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to it, too. Well, thanks for joining us, Matt. I'm going to let up a couple of other folks. I try to get through everyone. Um, let's see here. Esoteric Aggie. I'm going to go ahead and let you up, and then I promise to get to, to you, Mark, and to you, uh, Special Teams you. But uh, Esoteric Aggie, what's on your mind? Hey there, man. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. So um, I'm actually wanting to ask, uh, with week one being out of the way, going into week two, um, I'm wanting to see what some other opinions are on the SEC right now. Uh, so I'm getting, you know, some flack, obviously. I mean, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, that maroon Kool-Aid. But in my opinion right now, I would say the top four teams in the SEC, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, A&M. Um, and I know that might not be popular, including A&M, but with how the teams have been playing, I think that is a reasonable top four, and I'm wanting to see what you might feel on that matter. 
Well, I think certainly the the first three you mentioned yeah, are yeah. are solid candidates. I mean, Tennessee, I think is is still looking decent enough, and I think they're gonna. Last year wasn't like a blip, which you know you're always concerned about. But A and M, I think we're gonna. I, I I don't know who I would pick for fourth, and I'm sure there's some folks here who would have a very strong opinion on that. I'm very very much looking forward to see how they do against Miami this week, of course, because and I think I that's think... gonna be. That's going to be a good benchmark because I just want to say, and I, I'm not going to name any names, but last week we had a caller come in, and I, he couldn't have. He, I, everyone has a time they whiff, but this caller literally called in, and he's like, "Hey, I'm a Clemson fan, and I think Florida State is completely overrated going into this weekend. I don't understand why people don't think Clemson is is by far the team that's going to win the ACC." And I, I, my response to him was like, "Okay, you know." That that's that's why you guys are both competing for to be the the top dog in the ACC. But let's let's see how FSU does against LSU. And I didn't say let's see how Clemson will do against Duke. But man, I felt bad for the guy. I kind of like. I mean, you can't help but laugh. I mean, it's sports. It's not life and death. So you can kind of laugh at someone's misfortune. But holy cow, that guy! Oh, of course. I, and of course, I to mean, be fair, we also had a Wyoming fan who was like, "We're going to beat Texas Tech. Count on it." And he was right. Um, he didn't quite go that bold, but I mean, he. But at the same time, he's like, I don't know why people think Texas Tech's going to walk up to Laramie and beat us. Of course, and he was right; they didn't. <laughs> right, and and so I'm not, you know, as an AM fan, we are very hopeful a lot, and I'm not saying, you know, we're automatically going to be national champions. I'm not saying that whatsoever. However, I think with our spot right now, most returning stars in the NC or in the SEC. Uh, oh yeah. What is it, top 10 in the NCAA, I think? Or Well, I know that was a huge reason why, even before the season, um, like guys like Phil Steele said, the, the Aggies were poised to be like the big turnaround team this season. In his mind, that was the major reason why. All the returners and getting settled, and granted, you know, it was a little chaotic last year, but I mean, it seems like they're, they're, the steps are there and the place, the, the parts are there. So this should be an opportunity for them to at least contend where they were supposed to have last year. Of course. And so my big question basing on it is um, what it looks like right now is of course the top three they're set right now, but right now it seems like there is a very big uh, majority of the conference that is either in a like gridlock tie with of course, you know, the bottom teams Right now, honestly, I would say with how poorly LSU played against FSU, granted top 10 team game, uh, but that was not a – it did not look like a healthy LSU. I mean, I think everybody can agree here that was not a healthy LSU by by any metric. Uh, of course, Florida is Florida right now. And Vanderbilt, they're 2-0, but I mean – Let's let's be honest here. That's not going to last <laughs> yeah, for no. very long. <laughs> no, so that's that's definitely have bottom three and top three. But I, like I was saying, I'm really interested in seeing what you would place as that that top fourth and bot first of the bottom tier, pretty much. Boy, well, I I think you know the more we talk about it, I can see why our Texas A&M would fit into the 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 so-called bottom spot in the top four. You know, I think right now, especially with what happened with LSU, I think the top are currently Alabama, obviously Georgia and Alabama. And I think Tennessee, until anything else is proven otherwise, is is in that grouping. And I think Texas A&M is poised to be in that spot because it's hard. I agree with you. It's hard to pick 
who could possibly be there. Florida, we'll, well, Florida learned why, I mean, what was it like the last time they left Florida for an out-of-conference game? Like the state of Florida was like, 20, pardon me, it was like 1991 and they lost at Syracuse and they went ahead and found out why they never leave the stakes. They went and lost at Utah. But, um, so I don't think, obviously they're not going to be, they're not going to be challenging for it. I'm not sure you're right. It's kind of a tough middle. I don't know who I would put in the bottom four just yet, but at least at this early, early stage, I think you have a, a case for saying Texas A&M seems to have at least be in that top four spots right now with the SEC. I think you could credibly say that given what happened because LSU was the other one. And, and yeah, what we saw healthy or not, I mean, they, they have to turn things around and clearly um, from the, I mean, people were really going over. I mean, everyone, wa- I mean, I think it was interesting to watch all of the people who were really looking forward to Brian Kelly failing when he got to LSU and then had to kind of take a timeout and wait last season, suddenly came back in full force because a lot of the stuff that was coming out was just like, oh, it's the same old Brian Kelly and same all this. And I mean, maybe, but um, yeah, I, but as far as who the top of the SEC is, I think that did open up a, an opportunity for Texas A&M to at least kind of make that point until proven otherwise. And certainly with that conference, uh, with that uh, schedule, they'll get an opportunity to pretty soon after they, uh, after they get a quick test at Miami and then, and then, you know, soft, soft uh, ULM before they get into Auburn, Arkansas and then Alabama at all. Yeah, of course. And, and as always, like super, super obvious, we need to get past Miami. I mean, Everybody can agree, Texas A&M at Miami, that's going to decide the outcome of the rest of the season for these two teams. I mean, really and truthfully. Going off the last season, you know, it didn't decide A&M season then, but now with that starting lineup being back, with, you know, uh, good old old motorcycle Petrino uh, being in there, it's, it's... at this point, it is deciding the future for these two teams. And going forward, um, obviously, I mean, South Carolina's out. And and I don't want to take up a lot of time. I know there's a lot of other people. But I would like to see at this point, uh, what games do you think going forward are realistically wins for A&M? Personally, I think that uh, the two teams that we have possible losses to this year other than trap games, because, you know, all Mississippi teams seem to be our traps. Uh, other than trap games, I think Alabama and Tennessee are realistically the only two teams that look like clear losses at this point. Well, they would certainly be favorites against AM. I don't think there's anything that's going to change between now and those games. And they're back-to-back, which is brutal. I mean, hosting Alabama and then at Tennessee um, in consecutive weeks with no break. No, I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, looking at the others... If if A and M continues at the rate they were they are supposed to go and and predictions are this season, I think they would be favored against the rest of their schedule. I'm not sure who, unless again, you know, some teams rise up more in the middle of the season. But at this point, the lineup would put Texas A and M in a in a favored position because I mean, for those who aren't familiar, it's they got Miami this weekend, then they got ULM, Auburn, a neutral site game with Arkansas. Then the Toughies, Alabama, and then at Tennessee, and then South Carolina at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Abilene Christian, and at LSU in a rivalry game. But you know that there's a little bit of chaos there. But still, in terms of being favorites at this point, yeah, I, I would say other than Alabama and Tennessee, it would be hard to not think 
A&M would be favored. Until, but of course, again, hey, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, so many teams will see that and then they'll, you know, we'll be shocked at what happens the following week. I don't think because Miami, we're still trying to gauge too. they beat the other Miami. Good for them. Um, asserted that dominance. But uh, it will be interesting to see both teams face another team with uh, with at least some caliber of, of somewhat equality. Although, again, A&M's probably more talented across the board than Miami at this point. So it'll be really interesting to see that, and especially, as you said, with Petrino calling the plays and to see if I mean, it's really interesting to see how that shift to if, if Fisher can become the CEO head coach that uh, that that Saban became and and really made it work. So it'll be interesting to see that. But thanks very much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. And, you know, I let you up, Mark. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm here to talk about uh, something that we don't usually get to talk about in uh, big time college football. Do Rutgers win? <laughs> <laughs> no, even more rare. A Duke win. <laughs> uh, Not only a Duke win, but like a splashy national audience, the only game on win where the entire country just wanted to talk about it. Yeah, this uh, uh, I- I'm honestly a little surprised that I'm able to sp- I regained my voice uh, just a few hours ago after hollering at horse. Uh, last night, I will say Wallace Wade's field is very, very nice, uh, to, uh, uh, storm. Uh, but yeah, no, it is, it's honestly, it's, it's funny actually, because we don't know how good Clemson's going to be. This, this could be a blip on, uh, the radar to another, uh, you know, nine or 10 win season, or this could be the sign that, uh, their, uh, their downhill slide is for real, but at the same time, just to see that number nine next to Clemson's name and to not only win, but win in a game where it really felt like Duke played like the favorite, uh, like, uh, Duke, uh, felt in control throughout most of the game, even with Clemson up at the half. Uh, that was honestly astonishing. Like, uh, I was watching, uh, at the game with a buddy and we were both just like this, this can't be real. I mean, I, I remember Ted Roof. Uh, Ted Roof's still a four-letter word. Oh uh, wow! Vocabulary. Yeah. So yes, this is yeah. This this was a long time coming, and uh, unfortunately, we probably signed Mike Elko's next big coaching contract with a win last night. But uh, totally worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one downside. I was thinking like, wow, he's his coaching stock is probably going to go up tremendously. Particularly, I mean, Duke's got a really decent schedule for the next several games i mean they've got a fcs lafayette which isn't good for an fcs team coming into town they got northwestern boy was this the year to get them <laughs> i mean they're so bad you're actually worried well if, if will they ruin my strength of schedule um and then at uconn uconn's kind of unpredictable but then you get that notre dame game and that i there's a strong possibility that we're going to get a really hyped up game well, I mean, that's almost like a game day quality game if you get an undefeated Duke and an undefeated Notre Dame together. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, especially at Wallace Wade Stadium because they'd love to have that excuse to go somewhere they don't normally go, and uh, you know that would be that could be an intriguing one. At least one of those out there if, if Duke can can keep rising and maybe even a few teams lose so that they rise up even more um, because of of teams ahead of them getting ranked, but uh, or losing their rank. So. No, it's an interesting one, and I mean, I think you're right. I, I know people want again wanted to jump on Clemson for a lot of reasons, and uh, you know, 
their offense wasn't terrible. That's for sure. The t- turnovers were, but you know, there's ways you can turn those around and fix things. They got, you know, they, they poached, um, uh, TCU. It was, uh, offensive coordinators. name just slipped my mind. It's the brother of, uh, Garrett Riley. Yeah. Garrett Riley. So, I mean, the offense seemed to work, but for the errors and errors can hopefully be fixed. So, It'll be interesting to see if they can get that together. I mean, the defense clearly let them down quite a bit uh, in this in this game. But, um, yeah, I'm curious to see uh, how this works out, both for Duke in the long run and, and to see if Clemson can turn it around. But that game was obviously <laughs> on everyone's mind. And uh, But it, enjoy that. Enjoy this moment. Oh, yes. I think every Duke fan absolutely deserves to enjoy this moment, particularly longtime football fans who suffered through <laughs> Ted Roof, who suffered through, I mean, I still love that Duke successfully argued. I think it was Louisville was the oh, plaintiff yes. in this case. <laughs> For those who are unaware, Louisville, and I don't remember if this was, I think the game dates from before Louisville was actually in the ACC. So it, keep it that was, in mind. Yes. This is when they were, oh, was it ACC? Oh, yeah. So um, Louisville had a game where Duke was supposed to come and play them. Duke bailed out on the game. And, you know, they had to find a replacement. So Louisville sued Duke saying you lost us revenue. And Duke successfully argued in court that their team was so bad and so unattractive as an opponent that really any opponent would have been just as good. It wasn't like you signed up Notre Dame and and that bandwagon didn't show up or the famous big red wave that joins Nebraska fans. No, they were like, no, we're Duke. We don't bring anything to the table. And a court said, you know what? You're right. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know, if it works, it ain't it ain't a bad argument. But that was that that is one of the most infamous moments in Duke football. But also a great sign for Duke legal the the Duke Law School. But um, which has always been good. Yeah, no, it, 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 we we got our money's worth at that time. But uh, yeah, like you said, the hope is game day. Uh, uh, when Notre Dame comes to town, really, Duke should be able to play and. In every game except Florida State and Tallahassee, I mean, Florida State looks like they're going to be the best team in the ACC by oh, yes. uh, a very, very healthy margin. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Honestly, it was funny. The uh, this, of course, the first year without divisions, and with uh, we missed our comfy coastal setup where when uh, we didn't have to play Clemson, Florida State, except once every six years, and then see both of them on the calendar. It was like, man, we could make some noise this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, uh, what a way to start things off. And, uh, hey, I mean, Duke uh, national champions in football, I mean, who outside of all basketball fans says no? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They beat Clemson without Coach K at the helm. I mean, that's just a miracle, right? But uh, Well, thanks so much, Mark. It was great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, always appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, Special Teams U, thanks for your patience. What's going on? What's up, man? How you doing tonight? Good, good. So I got two separate questions. Um, I'll start off with, uh, this is purely opinion. Rank these three teams for me, Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Oklahoma State, pardon me. Oh, gosh. Texas. Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. Right? Like, am I about to am I about to commit the, the, the bias of like going with the name brand and just saying Texas or I mean, Kansas State 
looks hopeful right now. I mean, because they were the team where everyone was like, are they going to be able to come into this season and continue the success they had last season? And because they got overshadowed by TCU, they're not going to get overshadowed by TCU this season. That's for sure. So, um, you know, again, can they do that? Certainly. Oklahoma State's the one team I have the least read on right now, and I fully admit that. Texas is a little interesting. I mean, I watched a bit of their game with Bryce. Hey, really quick. And, Oklahoma, um, Texas, and K-State. Oh, shoot. Okay, all right. Oh, gosh. Oklahoma, I'm very curious to see how they do against SMU. I mean, they blew out Arkansas that State. But I, I don't know if that's Butch... I don't know if that's Butch Jones. I really don't know. Like, he looked shellacked after that game. He honestly looked like a guy who just got hit by a truck. I think there's even a, a clip of him on the sideline where his own player was like, it's all right, dude, and, like, patting him on the back while he was on taking one knee and he got up. So, I mean, like, it was just such a situation where I'm like, I honestly can't tell if Oklahoma was that good or if we are watching one of the most spectacular meltdowns of a, of a coaching career, like the worst failure of Nick Saban's school for coaches who can't coach well going back in the, like, I'm not sure. And it sucks because I, I, I have a soft spot for Arkansas state just from all those years where they kind of struggled and then they finally got a coach who would stick with them. Um, but, uh, and all the tragedy that happened in all of those years. But I, I'm curious to see how Oklahoma does against SMU. That, that game is going to be a lot more interesting for me. I think we'll get a better sense of them. Texas right now, I think, looked a bit like what we were thinking Texas was going to look like. But again, it's so hard, especially with, with Rice and with, uh, with uh, that Arkansas State program to, to size them up against each other. I mean, it's so early in the season. I, I don't like boxing myself in the corner. I think at this point, talent-wise, they're certainly going to probably have a little bit more than what we saw with the, the, against K-State, but K-State's coaching will have to kind of out, help do that. Oh, and I should say, of course, with Oklahoma, I mean, it was wonderful to see the defense so pitch a shutout, even if it was potentially a basket case program. I mean, after last season, that's what everyone wanted to see at Oklahoma, you know, and Venables pitched a shutout there. That's wonderful for, for Sooners fans, I think, 100%. But how about you? Where do you rank them? So for right now, I tend to have a problem with ranking Oklahoma uh, above either team just because of their uh, production last season. And uh, I don't know, that West Virginia loss was crazy. So, you know, as much as they've reloaded, I have to do just really a question of K-State, uh, Texas or Texas K-State. Um, overall talent, definitely Texas K-State. As a K-State fan with purple tinted glasses, I'll go K-State Texas. But if I were to rank them, it would go... Texas, K-State, Oklahoma, uh, just because I don't know if you paid attention, but K-State hasn't beaten Oklahoma since like the mid-2010s, and it's getting a little old, and so this is our last shot this year, so every K-State fan is crossing their fingers praying. I can't blame you, and I think it's going to be interesting because K-State is, is a strong team, and they certainly have a coaching ability, but can they... We'll see how this Oklahoma team is. I, I, after, I think, this weekend, seeing them against SMU, we'll get a better read on them because I am still not sure what they faced when they played that Arkansas State team because that was just the Butch Jones special as far as we could tell. But I think that was a great question, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how those three pan out. And I was just thinking about K-State actually earlier today when I was prepping for the show. I'm like, <laughs> this is their chance. Like, they finally 
You know, are they going to be, especially starting next season, regardless of this season, if they can keep this up and because Kleiman was awesome at North Dakota State. I saw him coach there. I was impressed how he took over after Craig Bowl, um, who I thought was the whole reason North Dakota State was success. And then it turns out it was a system. I mean, a good system that he had built up and Kleiman took the ball and ran with it. And then to see him at K-State, I was really impressed that they hired him. And then it took a little while, but then last year we seemed to get what we were we, we thought we were going to get from a coach of that caliber. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, if regardless of this season, I'm curious to see if they become the team to beat with the Big 12 as a lineup starting next season without either of those two teams. I, I think it'll Texas or Oklahoma, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, I've been praying for those days since I was a little kid, so now that it could actually happen, that would be a dream come true. Please don't tell me you're so young that you don't really remember the Bill Snyder no, no, years. No, no, I'm, I'm, like, 20, uh, I'm okay. 24. I, it's, okay, but I'm still... Yeah, see, I, yeah. was in, I, I still 90s. remember watching that. I still remember the Texas A&M upset of them in the, the Big 12 championship game. And that day was nuts. My because grandparents still have UCLA lost... Well, and UCLA had lost earlier in the day. So there was a great cut into the game <laughs> where when UCLA lost, because UCLA was the, the BCS number two going into that game. And then they lose to that makeup game at, that Miami played them because there was a hurricane cancellation. So in the final week of the season... Because there was no Pac-12 title game, Pac-10 title game, they uh, UCLA plays Miami uh, in, and loses, so that suddenly opens it up for K-State to take that spot in the first BCS title game. And what ends up happening is, uh, yeah, and I remember they cut into the stadium, and you saw like, hey, they just found out. And again, this is the old days, so the guy was must have been listening in on an either a radio, like a transistor radio or something. But he just starts jumping in the middle of the crowd, and suddenly you see a wave of people jumping expand around him in the K State section. And that was when they found out UCLA lost, and then of course Texas A&M ended up upsetting them. So neither team went to the uh, <laughs> to that BCS title <laughs> game, which really just ended up being the team that would be sacrificed to uh, Tennessee that year. If you're um, ever bored, look up the EMP theory for that season, for the UCLA game and the K-State game. There's a there's like a 25-minute video, and it's about how the Army like developed an EMP device before that season. And since it was the first season <laughs> of the BCS, they wanted like two specific teams to get in. And so there's a whole theory out there and a whole video about how someone on the sidelines used an EMP for K-State to fumble on like the drive in the fourth <laughs> You know, for that kind of a theory, I wouldn't want anything less than a 20 to 30 minute video <laughs> to explain it all out. It wouldn't even be right unless it were like 70 minutes of... Uh, of someone talking about all the connections that we're all missing and how it's all there. You just have to look. But uh, I love it, man. But hey, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. So I see we're having a little trouble making a couple of these connections to work, but I think I just got Ozzy Maverick up here. I just previously tried to connect another uh, guest, and sometimes the phone screws up. But yeah, what's going on? Ozzy, uh, Ozzy uh, oh, it looks like it kicked him off again. Let's see if we can get you back on there, Ozzy uh, Maverick. Um, and if not, I'll, I'll switch around, but we'll get people up. If you, if it doesn't work, we'll get you up if you get up again and then I'll let you up here, but Ozzy Maverick, what's going on? Oh, doesn't look like that one quite worked. Well, Ozzy Maverick, if you can hear me, just go ahead and, and hit unmute and we'll let you up, but I'm also going to let up uptown update. Um, looks like we have a two lane fan coming up here. 
All right. Can uh, let's hear Uptown update. Can you hear me and uh, unmute? Yeah, man, I can hear you. Uh, first of all, I want to say thanks for all you do. You uh, run Twitter or call triple on Twitter, so I appreciate all you do. Oh, thank you. And I'm not going to claim that I do all the tweets. I do like literally probably less than 10% at this point. Um, there's a crew of us that do, and we try to keep it funny and interesting, but, and we usually get accused by quite a variety of individuals uh, well, <laughs> of being terrible at it. But you know what? It's fun. We don't take it personally. But uh, what's going on? Yeah, uh, y'all do a great job. My question was, do you think if Tulane runs the table this year, or any group of five team runs the table this year, can they make the college football playoffs similar to Cincinnati after winning their New Year's Six Bowl and then make them playoffs the year after? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I think to an extent it depends. Like, Because what happened to Cincinnati was what, you know, it's kind of like what needs to happen in a a series of years in a row where you need the – you need – success reputational success and it's not i'm not saying this is fair but that's part of the way for example utah and then boise state broke into the became bcs busters in the you know when it was the the plus the four plus one model um is they needed to kind of have a few years of a reputation and then suddenly their wins were taken seriously now tulane obviously last year impressed everyone and i say this as a usc alumnus um and (laughs) You know, so so I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to point any fingers at Tulane for anything at this point. But I think you know it's going to be interesting. I don't know with the because we get we deal with pole inertia. You know that's always that's been a classic problem. Like a team just starts ranked higher than the rest, and it's hard to to get uh, those who rank them. Especially well, the coaches don't count. Thank goodness because they were really impossible to move anyone. But even with the AP and the, and the various reporters, it's hard to get people to jump teams, especially if teams continue to win. And starting where they are right now towards, again, right now they're what, like AP 24? I mean, they could work up quite a ways, but I think they need help at this point. It isn't like where Cincinnati, I think did Cincinnati started, I think, higher up in that season where they were able to break through. They, they might have, but I remember at the end of the year, maybe it was like second to last week of the season, they were ranked like eight or nine. And they, I mean, all the dominoes fell in their favor and they got put in the playoffs. But yeah, I, I think, agree with that. and I feel bad, I think, for this season because I think when, of course, when we have the 12 team playoff next year, then it doesn't matter. I think if Tulane wins out, yeah, absolutely they're going to be in there because uh, they're, they're, at this point, I think a couple of their potential contenders, you know, fell. I mean, UTSA, I don't think anyone thought they were necessarily going to go all the way, but I think losing that opener at Houston certainly put them in an odd position. I don't think while it was awesome to see Wyoming getting a cool upset, I don't think anyone's credibly thinking they're going to win out and go all the way. I mean, the ch- it was funny too, cause I was thinking today, well, who are the real G five challengers now? Other ones that could be interesting. I mean, Boise state again fell, but then you have air force, but air force's schedule is so bad. I mean, it's great if they want to win out, but you know, and, and again, if a few things fall ahead of them, if they win the mountain West, they could certainly take one of the, the near six spots, but I don't think they'd, uh, they necessarily challenge for the playoff with as weak as their schedule is. But then Fresno State, you know, Fresno State's always been willing to take on some tough teams. And they're another one out there that I'm kind of curious to see how they keep doing because they certainly, they seem to have found, um, I think they got the, UC, the old UCF quarterback there. Got his name. I think it's Mickey something. I, I apologize. I always sometimes, some of the names, I'm never great with names. I've never been great with names. But, um, 
So I think they're out there too. But right now, it's I think Tulane, given that's they, they have the opportunity to make it through. They can beat Ole Miss next week, and it's a home game for Tulane. I think that would be a huge help. And that's a, I think that's going to be a tall order, uh, but not in a bad way. I think if they can beat Ole Miss and Ole Miss continues to do well after that, that would be, I think, that would help them a lot too. But in terms of breaking the New Year's, probably breaking the college football playoff, I think it takes a lot of outside help. I think we're going to have to take some almost 2007-level chaos for that to happen realistically. And it sucks because at Tulane, if this is like they're at, they're at the best they've been in a very, very, very long time, if they can manage to get through, they would absolutely next year and the year afterwards be in the playoff. But this season, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Yeah, I agree. I think if there's two or more undefeated teams – there's no way Tulane makes the playoffs. I'm hoping South Alabama can win the Sun Belt. And then, like you said, if we beat Ole Miss, which we're seven-point dogs, I hope they can compete in the SEC. But it's definitely tall order. I appreciate you answering the question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and good luck with the season. I have a very soft spot for the Green Wave. I remember when we bought – because RCFB, we, have a, like some, we do some holiday drives. Just we raise money and give it away to like Toys for Tots. But we also would sometimes buy bricks – we have a brick in front of Yulman Stadium, and I guess it was based off of a Tulane urban legend because I looked it up, and I don't think it's actually true that there is some modern building in the on the campus that has kind of a perforated window that a perforated pattern of windows that almost looks like it's Braille. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's supposed to say <laughs> I can't remember what, but we actually got a brick in front of Yulman Stadium. That is Braille. Like it's not real Braille, but it's like it's dots and lines. Oh, it's yeah. not Braille. Pardon me. It's um. Oh, what do you call that? Oh my gosh. Um. Uh, yeah. The the navy. I can't think of it either now either. Uh, where you tap tap whatever. Tap tap tap. Oh my yeah. gosh. This is this is embarrassing. Like I Morse code. Gotta get Morse code. Thank you. You Morse know this code, is what happens. Yeah. I actually I, I'm an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota, and I taught today for the first time this semester, and I'm always extra like worn out after like lecturing for the first time in months and like so that's how like, my brain just is like you just spent all your intelligence like three hours ago dude like you're done yeah. you're the, done the, good luck the, it's like homer when he's trying to learn vocabulary and he loses it and it's like mars where's that thing that thing the, you used to dig a spoon that's again yeah. at usc education does not pay off <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious but uh yeah man thanks for joining us it was great talking to you Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Absolutely. In fact, I'm letting you up, and I will try to get as many of you folks as I can if you hit request. would love to talk to you. You know, as Slack is coming up here, I wanted to actually mention one other kind of article I saw. Uh, it was actually a, um, a tweet by Brett McMurphy where he, he has a great quote from Washington, a University of Washington president um, who told in an interview about the move to the Big Ten. You know, ch- this is the quote. Change is always difficult, but I'll be honest – some of our biggest, biggest supporters said, thank you very much. It's generally been very positive. I understand traditional, I understand loyalty, but basically we did not leave the Pac-12 that people are grieving. So the Pac-12 that people remember isn't the one they were leaving. We left the Pac-12 that was at best on life support. It was fairly toxic because there was no trust. There was constant gossip and leaks. Like that is, that is awesome. That was kind of the quote we were kind of hoping for. To hear like the uh, the masks come off now that they're no longer forced to pretend that they're all a unified front in the Pac-12, 
But yeah, he basically, yeah, he just said like, no, we, uh, or she said, pardon me. And it kind of makes sense because in all of this, like they're waiting for the media deal and Colorado just says, you know, we're out, forget it. And apparently, you know, the rumor is like Arizona had already filed their Big 12 application before they even had that final meeting that put the, uh, the nail in the coffin. You know, one of the, uh, the quotes from an Auburn fan, uh, uh, Pancake Rap, uh, he said, my girlfriend is obsessed with the real housewives of the Pac-12 and she's devastated that this is its last season. So that one, that just that entire, that entire brouhaha is, uh, is still fun. And, and this Pac-12, I mean, they're all still in the same conference for at least another, you know, 11 months or so. So we've got, we've got more hopefully fun um, sniping and, and stories that'll come out as the season progresses. But Thack, what's going on, man? Uh, hey, Bullback, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, I love it. We've got uh, we've got week one under our belts. What a what an exciting week! I, I will say this past week, uh, the uh, the beaker that helps run uh, the RCFB Twitter caused some uh, caused some ruckus with some Arkansas fans in the in the comments, and uh, somehow even the Mizzou fans I saw were jumping in. So that was funny. I got a got a good laugh <laughs> out of that. Um, tell him uh, tell him to keep it up and. Uh, you know, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure he'll get more engagements from those suckers. But uh, oh, I can't wait to ask him what he wrote. I literally sometimes don't even pay attention. I'm like, wait. <laughs> I always ask him, like, do I just need to know if I show up somewhere? Is am I going to get accused about something you guys wrote? Because um, again, it's happened before. <laughs> oh, I've been I'm at sure. a. I was at the national championship two years ago, and a. I'm not going to name him, but a very a drunk, very famous reporter was uh was this kind of like so when you said this i mean i'm, I'm not like he didn't sell it, but well, so when you said this it was like as a joke right i'm like yeah we were i, I didn't know what he was saying i didn't know what he was referring to i'm like yeah we're, we're pretty jokey it's like okay okay and i was just like all right uh and i literally wrote the other guys i'm like what did we say to him or did we talk to him or is he just kind of like did we say it and you know anyway so <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's what we're known for. But what 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 are your thoughts on so far this week, though? I mean, this is oh, exciting. Man. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been real exciting. I really loved uh, watching uh, two games. Uh, obviously, LSU Florida State. It was a pretty good game. Uh, interesting matchup. I think uh, FSU uh, showed their weight, and Jordan, Tra- Jordan Travis looked like he might be the real deal. The other game, I uh, obviously enjoyed watching Duke Clemson. Uh, the 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 fun thing uh, I, I say. And uh, I really apologize to that Duke fan that was just up here a little bit ago. But but where is uh, where is Elko headed next? Which disgruntled uh, which uh, SEC team is about to blow up uh, this season? And uh, where where is Elko headed next? I, I remember vividly uh, there was an SEC rant uh, post uh, from I think an LSU fan that was like uh, during the Auburn coaching search. Um, he had commented something. He was like. Man, they should just bring Elko in for an interview at least. He's got SEC experience and and all that. And now they ended up with Hugh Freeze. I guess we'll see how that turns out. But um, I'm just waiting. To, unfortunately, it looks like uh, for for Duke fans, it looks like uh, Elko probably is headed back to a head coaching position at the SEC sometime soon if he keeps this up. Not not many people can uh, can take uh, a Duke team get the nine and three uh, last year and then uh, top off. Uh, Number nine, Clemson. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, think of the, you know, Spurrier is one of the last coaches to really kind of do that at Duke. And we saw where he, I mean, obviously, yeah, that, that, that was, that was what helped him go back to his alma mater as a head coach. So, 
I mean, yeah, it, I, I agree. And, I, and even that caller, that Duke caller said, yeah, he, he knew that this is probably going to be th- their success is basically building his resume for his next position. But them's, them's the breaks. I mean, it's it's interesting, too. I mean, I was as I was thinking about it, you know, looking at a lot of these rosters, looking at the, the breakout players across the country this past week. You kind of look at man, we are really in. It's so funny because historically, the NFL, we always the, the when you try to explain it to some people who weren't following college football, you're like, well, it's almost like a minor league, but not quite. It's more like a developmental league for the NFL. But now you look at with the transfer portal, it's like how many of these MAC players suddenly end up in games, and you're watching them. I mean, I remember when I was watching the uh, uh, again from the press box, paying attention to how how teams were playing out uh, between Minnesota and and Nebraska. Like some of Minnesota's top players were like again from the MAC, and you're like, man, some team really lost a good one here. Um, heck, I mean, Dion took the head coach of Kent State and created an offense that's a monster right now. Um, you know when well, they played. And, and- Norvell at FSU brought in a ton of transfers too, and uh, you, you look at that team, and they're like, you're like, you're listening to the announcers, they're like, oh, the 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 Michigan State transfer, and it, I think it it totally changes the game in in an interesting way. Absolutely, and I think, uh, yeah, and and yeah, he he had a day. It was a Keon Coleman. Is I always forget his last, I forgot his last name off the top of my head, but yeah, he yeah, absolutely he, he killed it. Out. <laughs> that was just so out. impressive. That was, uh, and it's interesting too. I mean, at the top of this show, I just really quickly noted that with all the talk about Colorado and how they upset TCU with a completely, almost completely redone uh, roster. I mean, the, the most radical roster overhaul in in college football history. Uh, the other team that had a major upset, also against a Big Twelve team, was Texas State. And they were second place in terms of total turnover. Like if Texas State and and uh, Colorado continue to do well, I'm not expecting them to like the win out and win it all. But if they have really strong seasons after all that uh, all that off season overhaul, I mean that's going to really really change how a lot of coaches approach this. I mean because previous to this, everyone was like, oh wow, USC, you know got a bunch of offensive stars and now look at them and they did really well. And obviously the defense kind of was lackluster, but I mean, this is a completely different ball game and uh, I'm not sure what that, that says, you know, I can definitely see the negatives about that in terms of what we imagine with college football. I know the loss to Duke, a lot of people are kind of using this as an opportunity to kind of jump on Dabo and say like, he just hasn't, he's let the game pass him by, you know, because he refuses to really use a transfer portal. Um, and maybe there's some arguments then and there because one argument and one of the better write-ups I, about trying to diagnose what's going on is, you know, yeah, he's still recruiting really well. He's got a lot of blue chip athletes, but it takes time to develop them. And if you lose a super athlete for whatever reason, you can't just, I mean, recruiting a, a high schooler isn't going to necessarily fit into that spot immediately where the portal can help you kind of do that bandage. And to an extent, you know, there's been adaptation at, at schools like Alabama to, to, to bring in people, you know, if, if Nick Saban's willing to do it, hell, you know, <laughs> that, that's all the, uh, in, in my mind at this stage in college football, if Nick Saban thinks it's a good idea, that's like the ultimate stamp of approval. Um, even if he doesn't like it, if he, he still does it. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if, if I'm necessarily ready to write the uh, epitaph for, for the Clemson right now, I think again they had so they had an offense and just so many turnovers, and those are things that can be fixed. But um, yeah, no, that was interesting. Kind of got sidetracked there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, it, it, they did have uh, that running back that they got. I can't. Shipley. Uh, 
uh, he, he, both their backs actually, uh, I forget the other, the, uh, other fellow's name. Uh, they had, they had a pretty good game. Uh, I think Klubnik, uh, they, they, uh, Clemson did DJU dirty as, as people have been saying. I, I wasn't, wasn't super impressed with, with Klubnik. He, he looked like he had an, uh, maybe an off day, um, so some overthrown passes. So, uh, I'm not writing them off just yet either, but it'll be interesting to see down the stretch, uh, what they're able to do. Yeah, at least DJU is enjoying his time at Oregon State so far, though. Good for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I want to let a couple of other folks up here. Let's hear. Let's move on to. Uh, let's hear. Uh, Tyler, T.S. Lester, and I promise yeah, to get to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling back. Um, let's hear. So, Tyler, when you get a chance, just hit on mute. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see here. Unmute's in the bottom left. Sometimes. The system can act really wacky, so don't worry. We will get to you. Um, I'll let you figure that out on your side. I'm going to let up Drew uh, Kelleher next. Let's see here. So, Drew, when you're up, just go ahead and unmute. would love to hear from you and what your thoughts are. Hey, so I know you, uh, you touched on the Pac-12 a little bit there earlier. I find it uh, humorous that after that implosion of a league because the inability to get a media rights deal, they go run the table through the first week. Um, oh, absolutely. Putting, I mean, they're what, 13 Yeah, 13 Because USC, USC plays Yeah, twice. putting the best product on the field out of anybody right now. But um, as a Utah guy, you know, obviously, you know, looking at some starters down playing against Florida, and I get it's early in the season, but with, with the recruiting, with the stability they have in coaching, and as they've just been progressing over the last few years, I can't think of a team that's going to come out of conference realignment better than them. They're, they're moving from having to run through the gauntlet of SC, Oregon, Washington on their good years, Washington and Oregon State to maybe Kansas State being good in TCU every now and then. I just, I see Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma too. State. I mean, don't, don't discuss Oklahoma State. Right. Forget about Oklahoma State. But it's just, I see that as, I don't, I don't know how. They're not, the, they're not the winners of this thing. I can just, I foresee them coming in next year having even a cleaner path to the playoffs than they would being in the Pac-12. I I think that's uh, – I, I know being Florida was a good big deal, and it was great to beat Florida at home. But that that might be – give it a little bit of time. Oh, I, I, that's, a, that's a classic – you're letting yourself fall into a classic trap, I think, as fans do when, when they feel success. Because I'd be a little careful. I mean, hell, just, just let's – Baylor's going to be really angry <laughs> this weekend after what just happened to them. And I mean, Utah should take care of business if the, uh, Texas State could. But I would be I would be a little wary of getting to drinking the Kool-Aid a little too much on this because uh, the Big 12, I mean, this season, the Big 12 is probably and I've read some of this analysis where they think the Big 12 is the best conference against itself. I mean, it, it, top to bottom, it's hard to find. Uh, but of course, seeing what happened to TC, well, TCU again, their defense was terrible. Their offense could still produce something, but, uh, with Baylor, oh goodness. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this is just, be, just becomes a final romp for Texas and Oklahoma with a possible, I don't know if calling a spoiler is correct, but K state, but I, I would be cautious. There is a, there is an opportunity within that, that the big 12 may not be a cakewalk uh, for Utah. I think it's going to be it's going to be entertaining. I think as neutral fans, I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing Utah and the and the Arizona schools and Colorado join that those other teams and 
and really put together some interesting games. But I, I don't know if Utah is the team I'm thinking is going to be the uh, is going to be the um, the leader going in. I think they're going to be a contender, but I don't know if they're going to be the leader. Well, then it's so so. You were saying that you've seen that the Big Twelve is probably going to be the team that cannibalize, or the sorry, the conference that cannibalizes itself the most this year. So I mean, if that and even if that still holds true, that's God, that's been the Pac-12, what, the last decade now? No one, <laughs> yeah, that is no, the Pac-12. No one right. can that separate the... themselves. They just eat themselves alive. So, so they'll fit like right in. Familiar territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. They'll fit right. Utah will fit right in if it's back to conference of cannibalism. That's for absolute yeah. sure. Um, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> absolutely, Matt. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. Actually, that Utah-Baylor game will be a fun one to see. How Utah continues, and, and again, if Baylor can at least look competitive after losing embarrassing fashion to uh, to Texas State. Let's see here, Tyler. I'm going to let you. I'm going to try and let you up again. I know you had trouble connecting earlier. Um, oh, it looks like you're up here. Okay. Oh wait, no, there it goes. Sorry, I'm looking at my screen and watching things move around. Tyler, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. All right. So, well, if my voice cracks, we're trying to recover from last night. But on behalf of any Clemson haters, you're welcome. Um, I am a big diehard Duke fan. I've had season tickets for about the last eight years. And I, someone earlier talked about Elko leaving. And I, it's, it's a controversial take, but I've heard him talk multiple times, and I've got to go to a few press conferences. I actually think when he says he's here long haul, that he is here like long haul. He's been here two years now, and those that know college football might know some of the horror stories about how bad Duke's been before we've gone to court to get a game forfeited in our favor before it's been that bad. And, Oh, we, we had some fun talking about that earlier for yeah. sure. Yeah. The, uh, well, it was, they were actually, they weren't forfeiting. They were just trying to not pay the, the, uh, the fee for canceling the game. And they were able to successfully argue that even an FCS team would be a worthy replacement for them on a schedule because they were that bad. Um, and they worked. That argument worked, for the record. Who uh, just to reiterate what folks said, but that—that's not this Duke team. That's a—that's a Ted Ruffian style of uh, coaching. Yeah, the the glory days, and um, <laughs> and for and another take I have is you know a lot of people have talked about Clemson and Clemson lost the game, but Duke was plus sixteen in turnover margin last year, and they blocked two field goals and forced three turnovers last night and. Turnovers are partially luck, but at the same time, I think it really speaks to like Elko and what he's been able to do in under two full seasons at Duke. That he's now plus twenty, plus twenty even in turnover margin in eleven games at Duke. Like that is just absurd, and the fact that Duke didn't even play their best game by any stretch. They couldn't run the ball very well. Leonard was only 50% completions. We turned it over twice. And to beat Clemson like that, I think it says a lot more about Duke than it does Clemson, especially with Clemson's struggles last year that were already documented and how they've kind of been nosediving a little. And I think you're, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Duke develops out this season. And as we I – we actually – this is funny. We've never had two Duke callers uh, on a show before because it was one a, a little while ago. And um, the thing that kind of uh, the takeaway I had just sort of discussing what's coming up, it seems like there's a real opportunity for an undefeated 4-0 Duke to host Notre Dame um, at the end of this month. 
And I think that's going to be a really interesting game if Notre Dame continues as well to do uh, yeah. to look good. A lot of the, a lot of the inner Duke circles have already kind of circled that game as like a big pitch to if game day ever comes to oh absolutely for a football yeah. game it's that's exactly be, it's yeah got to be that week if we ever it would want it, it would happen. be a perfect story it would be Duke it would be Wallace Wade Stadium they would love the opera you know they always like to do like the stadiums they don't normally do especially when a team is excited because then they also they also know that means the background fans are going to be going absolutely bonkers right. um so I mean that would be a really attractive one depending on what uh, what they'll be competing with. And, I mean, I always say, like, let's just wait to get there, though. There are a lot of games that need to be played, and maybe some other team will have a hot hand that we're not expecting. But, yeah, Actually, for sure. Yeah. It's like it's like Elko said on the Pat McAfee show today. It's We just got the biggest win in program history. Now we've got to try and not have the biggest loss in program history on Saturday against Lafayette. Oh, against Lafayette. Yeah, that would be a, that would be catastrophic. That wouldn't even be – and, of course, what, and then, okay, you beat Lafayette, but what if you lose to Northwestern? <laughs> that would, that's that's about the same scale of a loss honestly at this point yeah that would be that would be oof that would be that would be a horror show that would be one that we talked about for generations no but uh <laughs> and my last thing is i think with you know to to quickly get into the conference realignment side of things now that stanford's coming into the acc we've got to make duke and stanford a crossover rivalry every single year and they've got to play for like a golden dictionary as the trophy it's got to be a thing that happens. I love it. Yeah, I think that would be great. There could be a potential for a really fun rivalry trophy there. I'm sure that I'm sure there will be some really creative ones that come up there, and hopefully, uh, we don't get completely see it get buried by some really lame one, like some of the ones that the Big Ten introduced when they added Nebraska. But uh, yeah, for sure, man. Well, thanks for joining us. It was great to talk to you. So let's see here. I think I had someone up here, and it looks like again the system put them back out. I'm gonna. Um, I'll go Alive91. I'm going to go ahead and let you back up here. Actually, it looks like you are up here. Oh, wait. There we go. Um, so if you want to get a chance, I'll go Live1. Oh, it looks like you're unmuted. Go ahead. Oh, I'm not sure if my system is on, if it's on my side or if if anyone can hear him. Could you just do a thumbs up or something? Sometimes it's my my side that's... Okay, I see a thumbs down. All right, cool. I'll go Live. I don't think we can hear you. Hey, hey. Um Oh, wait, there right. you are. There you are. I hear What's you up, now. What's up, guys? Yeah. Hey. First time on here, just trying to see how everything's going. How are y'all doing tonight? Good. It's week one in the books. It's been fun. What's going on, man? What are your thoughts? Uh, not much. Just listen, watching a bunch of games. I was just, what are your feelings on the whole entire running clock on first down? I know a bunch of people have been talking about how they're seeing – the game goes by too quick, but I, it's just my personal opinion. It just seems like the games are going by just the same, more or less. But what are your what are your thoughts? You know, I I the clock thing has certainly been a point of controversy only because, and I forgot I haven't seen the updated numbers. But after week zero, when there were like seven game sample, which wasn't you know quite as robust. There was, I believe, like a 7% reduction in game time and then a 1%, pardon me, in plays, 7, 7% reduction in plays run, but only a 1% uh, reduction in game time, which uh, broadcast time, which implies that commercials were just increasing to make up that space for only a negligible um, reduction in the time of the game itself. But that said, I... I know some people can feel it. I've been less, I haven't felt it quite as much. It's been interesting to watch 
especially in week one. That's why with week one, I was less, I was interested to see how teams were handling it because I think the, the, the coaches, they prep for it. Of course, they're all paid handsomely to, to figure out right. how to play with the new rules, but to see it in practice is a whole other thing. So, you know, it was interesting to watch, particularly with watching the Minnesota-Nebraska game, because both teams were just, the clock seemed to just race by for them. Because especially the first, it's almost like the the TV network slowed down the game. Because I remember in the second quarter, there was suddenly a bunch of TV timeouts. You know, a little guy in the red jacket walked in the middle of the field a couple of times. And because the first quarter flew by, because they were just, they, the offenses were running and they were doing a lot of running. Um, but... I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, if everyone's on the same even field, uh, even playing field, I'm not as upset about it as I might be. But at the same time, I, I do kind of wonder, like, what was the purpose of all of this? Was it really to speed up the game or was it to just make it more marketable and, and sell more commercials? So I think that that cynicism has definitely tainted it a bit for me. But I'm not necessarily as furious as I've seen some of the other writing on it. Because some of the stuff I've seen, like, and I don't get me wrong, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but I mean, I'm like, I don't know if it's necessarily crossed that line with me, but also, to be fair, I, I also, I'm not thrilled with that trend, and I, I hope there's some adjustment to it. I hope we don't necessarily, I mean, if we can speed up the games by reducing that, that the, I mean, I understand why you wouldn't reduce the number of commercials, like, from where they were, but the idea of increasing them more, that, that definitely isn't the feeling. A lot of reasons right i understand that i understand that they need to get the ad revenue with everything that's going on with how everything's set up nowadays with the uh, media partners and all this other stuff but i just i would like to maybe especially with like cbs is very bad at this like they'll have you'll score a touchdown and you'll you'll do your field goal kick go to commercial have go back kickoff and then go to commercial I, I it would just be nice i would just like to have if we're going to go to commercials just make the the commercial break between the field goal kick or the extra point and the kickoff just make that make that longer because to me it just seems like it's it it the flow of the game is just like not happening and i just think that there's some there's some places where they could get some ad revenue but still make the flow of the game better if you know what i mean yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think they. I wish they would do work more on tweaking that. And I think that would. That's. A, I mean, I'm not saying that to be uh, in any way denigrated. I think that is that is a very popular. Right. And I think that is that is people would love it. But uh, hopefully, we'll see that. Hopefully, one of the one of the networks just gets better at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, we've been talking about scoring bugs. I mean, there were a couple of posts on RCFB about talking about like some of these new bugs and how they're just. People are not happy with some of them. And some guy actually sat down and did the numbers on which ones cover the most percentage of the game and which ones don't. And, um, yeah, it was I think it was ESPN Plus that was one of the best uh, because probably those games aren't as interesting and they can't take as much space. But um, it was interesting to see uh, when they crunched the numbers of how much of the game was being covered up by some of these things. And I don't understand why they needed to keep tweaking them. I mean, just pick a good one, stick with it. I mean, no one's really looking for a new and shiny bug. Is it someone's like nephew or is it an intern oh, just, that really just needs to impress somebody? It's like the, the, the new Fox bug. I, I cannot, I do not like that bug at all whatsoever. It, it seems like it's just taking up a lot of the screen. Like the old Fox, like a couple, even last year, it just seems like it was not intrusive at all. And you could watch the game, but the bug itself is just taking up so much room. 
And I'm sure that at some point, CBS or ESPN is going to start saying, well, well, let's figure something out. Try to make this somewhat inclusive for us, but we're not really doing anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, man, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate right. it. Thank you. All right, I'm going to slowly start wrapping this up. So, you know, Sullen, I saw you wanted to come up one more time. As a WVU grad, but with a wife from Utah, I have a lot of perspective from the Big 12 versus Pac-12. And that comment that he was talking about is really interesting. I have been seeing so much of this about Utah's going to run the table. They're just going to spank them. Here's the thing, though. Like, as someone who watches a lot of Big 12, a lot of Pac-12, there's a very, very big distinct difference between them. And that is that the Pac-12 traditionally is a very top and bottom conference. They have, a, like, a couple teams that you can gear up every year. All right, we got these three. We got these three. If we beat them, we're going to be good. And then a lot of just slough, just absolute kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, no one's going into Cal thinking, man, this is going to be a tough game. Like Oregon's not going into Cal thinking, man, this is going to be rough. And it, a lot of times what happens is when they lose, it's not because one of those teams just outplayed them. It's that they just kind of came, didn't show up and magically one of those teams beat them. But for the most part, you know, Utah, they look at USC, they look at Oregon. That's our two. You beat those and don't trip over UCL like last year. You're pretty golden. Like, there's not a lot else in the conference, whereas, like, you know, in the Big 12, okay, you come in there, and next thing you know, you're in Ames, and ISU just kicks your teeth in. Like, just out of nowhere, you just had no, you know, just, you're like, what just happened? And, like, one of the best examples I can give is last year. Texas comes into Texas Tech. They just think, all right, this is our rival. We're going to beat them. And Texas Tech just outplayed them, just straight up outplayed them it wasn't because texas just showed up and dropped it like you know dropped an egg just screwed up texas tech just outplayed them and you know that's how it goes the big 12 just when they say beat each other up they really do just beat each other up all season long and the biggest awakening call utah is going to have is when all of a sudden they have a schedule full of those cals stanfords and you know arizona's but they're not Cal Stanford's and Arizona's. They're going to be TCU, who you just come in and next thing you know, they put 30 on you. Like, what What just happened? What, how did we, what just happened? Or you go into Baylor, who is, you know, something like two and four, and they just all of a sudden spank you. And that's going to be the big thing that Utah is not used to. Absolutely. And they'll also play Arizona again. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but uh, but for yeah, sure. Sorry. And that was just one thing when he said that I was like, oh, man, I got to chime in on this because I, I watch a lot. No, of, I understand. I watch a lot of Pac-12, a lot of Big 12 between the two schools. And, the, and that's just a big difference. Like when you watch them, you definitely can see the difference where it's like when a, the top team loses to one of the mid teams, it's usually not because they didn't show up. It's because they just got beat. But it's not the same a lot of times in the Pac-12. Anyhow, sorry. That's it. Absolutely. You know, I see I'm going to let up a, one more, I think maybe one or two more people just because I, think I saw them kind of join in and I'm, I'm still, my brain's still working. Uh, Nate Dog, Ugga, what's going on? Just hit on mute and would love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I appreciate you letting me up. Um, kind of joined the space late, so my apologies there. Um, I could talk about Georgia all day, but 
uh, since you guys are talking about West Coast football, I just thought I'd jump in and ask a question about what you thought. Auburn goes out West to play Cal. Um, I'm curious, like, what you guys think about that game. I think it could be could be uh, interesting overall for, you know, SEC play, but then, you know, is, is Cal going to give them a challenge? And then, uh, you know, the jet lag that it takes to go out there and, uh, you know, five-hour trip uh, to play some football. I'm just mm-hmm. curious what you think there. I still think Auburn's going to be favored to win. I think they they should win. But all of that said, I think Cal looked a little stronger than we were thinking before the season because I we talked Cal. I think it was a Cal fan who brought him up, and I said, you know, one of the the trap games, not trap games, one of the real chances for a G five to upset a P five was going to be Cal heading into North Texas's first week because North Texas was looking pretty strong. They they seem to have their their team going in the right direction, and it's going to be a home game and. You know, in the in the Dallas Fort Worth area, it's going to be hot, humid. Cal isn't really dealing with that most of the time. It seems like an opportunity, and Cal actually came to play and, and beat them pretty solidly. So suddenly, they don't look quite as bad as I think some folks were expecting heading into this season because it looked like they were going to be towards the bottom of the Pac-12. That said, with Hugh Freeze and and just the the, the quality of talent, that even though you know things. We're not good in the recruiting for under Harson. I mean, at the same time, it's still Auburn. It's still SEC enough to go in and probably, especially with a good head coach, uh, you know, to go in there and, and and take care of business with them. Because, I mean, like, again, granted, UMass wasn't the strongest of opponents, but I mean, hell, they were, they had a win before. It wasn't like, they're not, they're not your grandpa's UMass. They, they actually managed to beat another bottom feeder pretty well. But uh, at the same time, I think heading into Cal, I think Auburn is still going to be the one to beat. Now, if Cal manages to beat Auburn, then suddenly everyone's going to be like, okay, wait, did uh, Wilcox finally turn this team around? Uh, but it's they're in year seven, so I think a lot of folks are kind of really curious to see if that's that's what's happening there. But you know what? Let's talk a little Georgia. What are your thoughts right now? Yeah, um, just a quick snippet. Uh, on that comment, and then I'll jump in as much as you want with Georgia. Sure, I, I'm very interested in that game because uh, we play Auburn at Auburn Week Five, and I and I personally think that's a. It's, I think it could be really challenging. You know, like the Auburn environment. I've been there. It's it's crazy. You know, we lost there a couple years ago when we were on a good run. Um, it's just so hard in that environment. Even if you're a good team, it's just a, a tough game. So. I'm going to watch that Cal game just to kind of see what Auburn looks like, see what they're running. Um, but I'm very curious to see, uh, you know, is, is Hugh Freeze really driving them to what people think? I think they're going to continue to get better with recruiting, obviously, because he knows what he's doing. But you're right on the Harson thing. Like, he's still got all their players and, and all that jazz. So, yeah. I, I th- then one other quick point before I go to Georgia. Um the Saturday lineup is actually really good. There's a lot of good noon games. Uh, the three, there's a good three thirty game. Obviously, the uh, Alabama Texas game is going to draw huge numbers in the uh, seven o'clock range. There's another good seven o'clock, and then you have the Auburn late game with Cal. So, really good Saturday. Pump for the for the the whole day. I'm going to watch football <laughs> from the time you know SEC Nation starts till you know after midnight so yeah with Georgia um, I was at the game on Saturday and then I watched the replay the next day just you know to get the the double angle of being at the game and then watching it what it looks like on television um, you know the vibe in in the stadium was amazing 
it, it was sold out. There was fans all over the place, way more than 93,000 because, you know, you, I mean, there's just tens of thousands of people that weren't even going into the uh, Sanford, but awesome environment. We knew we were going to, you know, do well. I thought Carson Beck, as we were all waiting to watch him kind of, you know, kick it off, it was a little slow. There were some drop passes there. Uh, Dom Lovett, uh, you know, he's going to be really good for us. Dropped a couple passes and it kind of broke up the whole mojo and, and vibe of the drive. And then um, some other drop passes, uh, penalties, whatever. Um, I thought that we could have started much quicker. And um, to see us not go as quick as I think uh, a lot of people in the stands thought they were going to see, it kind of got a little bit rumblish. Uh, but then we started getting back in stride with Bowers. Uh, Muse was a breakout guy. You guys are going to see him a lot this year. Um, he was a walk-on from Central Gwinnett in Georgia. And uh, if you look up his really, really strong accoladed guy, uh, I don't know why he wasn't recruited harder, to be honest with you, but um, Muse was amazing. Bowers is awesome. And then the defense of Georgia looked awesome. And, again, you know, I know who we're playing, UT Martin, whatever. But it was good to see um, – the defense looked like I thought it would. Um, we are really – we have a lot of injuries right now that we're dealing with. You know, McConkey didn't play. Uh, Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint wasn't there for a personal matter. He'll be back next week, uh, this week, actually. Um, and then there's just a lot of injuries in the running back room. You know, we don't have DeJon Edwards playing. He's on a, a plan to get back. Um, Kendall Milton wasn't even healthy, and he still came out there, um, and his quote was – you know, Rod Robinson, the guy out of the West Coast uh, as a rookie, which had he had a great game. I uh, just didn't want him to have to feel all the pressure of starting as a, as a you know, first-time running back in the game. So Kendall, uh, you know, he really stepped up and came in and, and gave us some good runs. Um, but yeah, and then the wide receiver room, you know, I, I think that you're going to see us get a lot more a lot more play. once Arian Smith and Carson get on the same page, that's a huge – that's going to be a really big deal there. And then once McConkey comes back and Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint comes back, then we're then we're back to full strength because McConkey and Marcus were going to be one and two, but they just weren't healthy to go. So, yeah, I mean Georgia Georgia's Georgia looks strong. They're going to be strong. You're going to keep seeing it. You know, Ball State. It's not going to be a test. Uh, we'll see a better test with South Carolina, even though they lost to North Carolina. But I think North Carolina's got a good team. So, yeah. Thanks for letting me talk, man. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, just one last thought. What are your thoughts so far? So you think Mike Bobo has been good Good to see him back, you know, as an offensive coordinator again? Yeah, Mike Bobo. Uh, I was actually at Georgia when Bobo was the, uh, the quarterback. So I've seen him and followed him, you know, through his whole coaching career, kept up with him. I think it's good that he came back. It's hard to follow the shoes of Munkin. You know, when you go back to back, and Munkin was just, you know, he really transformed the the Georgia offense, and a lot of you know fans and people that follow Georgia would agree with that. Just a just a great great pickup for uh, Kirby to bring into the system. It, it's hard to follow up any anybody that does a back to back, and you know the offense that he was running and all the recruiting he did was just so so stellar. Um, but bringing Bobo back, I definitely think it's the right move. Kirby, Bobo, Muschamp, that triangle, they are they are a recruiting machine. They know the ins and outs of the South. You're going to continue to see them recruit well. Um, so I, I like that part of the recruiting element with Bobo. Bobo is an, 
is is a great OC. I think he's going to fit right in with uh, Kirby and what they want to do. And, you know, there are some Georgia fans that are going to rip on Bobo for whatever reason. He runs too much. He runs too much on third down, whatever, whatever their critique is. You'll continue to see that on Twitter and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if you go back and look at Bobo's stats when he was at Georgia, he actually had some really good seasons where we were throwing – 30, 40 points up on the board, you know, week in, week out. So I like the Bobo move. It's the right move for right now. And I think that Kirby and Bobo together, they'll, they'll make it happen. So it, it, it's going to be fine. Man, thank you so much for your thoughts. It was great hearing from you. I appreciate let's it. Thank you. Absolutely. And let's see, I'm going to go ahead and let up Fisher of when, um, and I'll see if we can slowly start wrapping this up. I see one more person I'll try to get to you, and I think that'll be it. So we'll try to get to SMU Barstool um, before we close this. But let's see here. Uh, Fisher of when, what's going on? Hey, have you guys talked about Ohio State at all? No, we haven't today. So what are your thoughts? Uh, how do you think the passing attack is going to do against the vaunted uh, Youngstown State defense? <laughs> Probably well. <laughs> I don't know if uh, – I mean, it, I would expect nothing less than domination from Ohio State against Youngstown. I'm just being an ass. I'm sorry. No worries. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, uh, any other thoughts you had on college football? or? Uh... Uh, well, I mean, I did. I mean, I'm, I'm a Penn State fan. I, I don't know if you guys hit on Penn State. Uh, I don't know if you hit on Drew. We haven't yet, so love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I think Drew Aller looks the part. Um, it's one game against West Virginia, but uh, I think that I think that we have some stuff to be excited about. But I mean, I don't really know how good West Virginia is. Be interested in hearing how you how you uh, analyze that game. Yeah, I think that that's a great question because West Virginia seems to be the coach. The pardon me, the uh, Neil Brown seems to be the the early favorite for dead man walking um, as head coach of his team, only because it's been surprising even each season that's passed that he's managed to make it to the next season, and seeing them just get and and to be fair, Penn State went into the season with you know expectations that they're going to challenge Ohio State and Michigan and potentially take that spot as the Big Ten, the Big Ten leader, um, which everyone's been kind of waiting about because they get close and it just doesn't quite, quite pass it. But James Franklin seems to have gotten the program to a point where they're at least in the conversation constantly. But, uh, but yeah, West Virginia, unfortunately, with as, as all the questions about whether or not they were even going to have the same head coach at the end of the season were not, didn't make them as, as good to see as good of a, a benchmark for telling it. And I mean, again, isn't that the, that is the, the problem we have with these early season games. I mean, is West Virginia just awful? Is Penn state that great? Um, tune in next week. No, as, as West yeah. pardon me, as, um, as Penn state. Oh, I probably, agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, the one thing that I heard and I think it was a perfect explanation was that Penn state with Sean Clifford was, uh, they had a clear ceiling and they were constantly grinding up against it. And Drew Aller, you know, uh, finally has, you know, kind of the broad shoulders to quite literally break through that that ceiling. And uh, I, I, I think that's true. But, you know, I'm so skeptical about it. And I, I, my my expectations, I'm just trying to keep them on the level constantly. 
Yeah, and, and it's so funny, too, because to be fair, West, West Virginia didn't even do that terribly against Penn State. They put up a fight. You know, I mean, there's been some some pushback about whether or not that late score was necessary or not. But I don't blame I don't blame that. That's I mean, because, you know, backups sometimes score backups are there. They want to they want to see their they want to they want to make a case for why they can be a starter if necessary. I mean, I gosh, I was at a game a long while ago, but it was an absolute blowout 69 zero. And the game was not even that close. And they were running it up the middle every time. They were running it up the middle in the fourth quarter, the, the team that was leading, but still the third or fourth string running back, he was just, he was just, everyone was seemingly unstoppable. And, and he punched it in for a full one of those last touchdowns. And it's just like, I can't blame him. I mean, you get your chance to be on the field. I mean, sure, the play call might be less likely to gain something, but if you can get it, get it by all means. But um, I didn't mind it. I mean, I had, I had Penn State covering, so. <laughs> exactly great teams cover but uh but yeah man thanks so much for your thoughts and it'll be interesting to see You're penn welcome. state is definitely one of the teams to watch and I, i'm excited to see them and especially with lsu uh you know taking up another I mean, freeing up another spot for them to uh to rise up it's going to be interesting to see i think we're going to get potentially with the schedule the way it is some really uh some really huge games uh for penn state down the wire because I mean, Illinois is kind of squirrely. It's unclear what they are, but I mean, it might be. I think that game at Ohio State on October 21st, that's probably going to be a battle of undefeateds, and that's going to be an exciting game. That's going to be, everyone's going to want that one. Looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And let's see here. I'm going to let up one last caller, SMU Barstool. <clears throat> when you're up here, and it looks like it's still connecting, and it's in the... It's, oh, there we go. So SMU Barstool, feel free to unmute. We'd love to hear from you. Um, all right. So uh, as you know, big game against Oklahoma this weekend. Um, a lot of people have us as, you know, one of the top two or three teams in the group of five this year. Um, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on our chances this weekend. I think we can compete. Um, I don't know what what's going to happen, but our defense seems to be a lot more improved uh, compared to last year. You know, that's – that's almost exactly where I am on this particular subject. Cause we were very early on in the show. We were talking about that only because somebody was asking about Oklahoma. And I'm like, I honestly can't tell if Arkansas state is just imploding because of Butch Jones or if they're, uh, or if Oklahoma was that good granted, you know, as far as defense goes last year, there were a lot of um, frustration over the Sooners defense and, and shellacking and shutting out, Arkansas State certainly on its face seems good, but you know SMU beating Louisiana Tech. There was some thoughts that Louisiana Tech might have an outside chance of being another uh, big challenger in the G five, but that was I think put to rest by SMU. And I mean SMU had one of the, I think what the best weekends ever. I mean on, on Friday you get the invite to the ACC. On Saturday you guys win, and you watch TCU absolutely get embarrassed in the most. Like in the way that I mean, <laughs> where everyone just wants to talk about the team that ran them over. So uh, I mean, that had to be like an SMU like perfect weekend um, on on crack because you know getting into a new conference at the beginning of it. I mean, I don't think that 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 just takes the the takes the uh, takes it all. But that said, again, I I'm really look. I think a lot of fans of Oklahoma just want to see how they do, or just people curious about Oklahoma want to see how these two teams match up. I think it'll be more competitive. I think it certainly, I mean, because again, we were talking about it earlier, Butch Jones, it was like a video of him, like on his knee, on the sideline during the game, looking so dejected 
that one of his own players was patting him on the back and kind of pulling him up off the sideline. So, I mean, that was the state of what we were watching. Again, uh, Oklahoma absolutely destroyed. But all of that said, I think we're going to get a better sense of both teams. I mean, it's too early to say if SMU has a chance of upsetting Oklahoma. I think that would be a still a pretty big surprise if that were to ever happen. But at the same time, I mean, certainly I think if they can put up a good fight and stay competitive Oklahoma, it's going to look great for them. Um, and, and Oklahoma, certainly if they're stronger this season than they were last season, they're kind of fitting into where people were hoping they would be uh, when Venables got there and just sort of hopefully took over a, a, the beast of a machine that Oklahoma is as a football program. Um, it'll help SMU continue on because SMU, if let's say they lose to Oklahoma and they keep winning out, it certainly would keep them in that group of five conversation, at least for the very, uh, for the very least working into that new year six spot. Um, so I think there's a lot going on. I think this is an exciting time for SMU fans. I think they've been there. They've classically been one of those programs. That's like, they sh have all the parts. They should be able to just do it again. I mean, they did obviously, before the death penalty, but <clears throat> now it seems like it's finally coming together for them. It's going to be exciting for folks like you who are passionate about SMU. Yeah, no, I'm like I said, I'm super excited. You know, my one worry for this game, I, our defense is completely improved from last year. I have no doubt about that. My one worry is can we put up enough points to keep up with Oklahoma? Because, you know, Preston Stone, second career start, you know, first road test. This is obviously not the easiest place to have your first road game. But if we can put up enough points, I think the defense can keep us in it. And, I mean, the spread's only two touchdowns right now, so you never know. Absolutely. Again, that says exactly what, what people thought of Arkansas State. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this game. This, it's so funny because we were talking about it as we were kind of, you know, over the period of the, uh, the conversation today uh, of tonight's show. It's thinking about some of these benchmark games like Oklahoma versus SMU watching how uh, Miami does against Texas A&M, Ole Miss at Tulane. There's a couple of games there that aren't necessarily the super marquee programs or at least super marquee games that people are thinking of because obviously you got Alabama, Texas, but they're really going to help kind of give a sense of where some of these programs are. And um, I'm excited to see it. And I, I think a lot of folks are. So as we slowly wrap this up here, by the way, one other real quick mention I wanted to say. So, Florida State, I love their Board of Trustees uh, um, announcements because they always have interesting material. That's how back in February we heard the rumblings that FSU was not thrilled with the ACC is because they had to present it to the Board of Regents and it, all their information got presented out. So everyone's been wise to reading them. But one of the interesting ones, this is actually kind of one that seems quite realistic now, but back in 2020, uh, Florida State commissioned a uh, survey among their fans about what they really want. I think they call it stakeholders, but really it's probably like their best uh, ticket holders, the ones that really pull in the money, what they wanted for Dope Campbell Stadium. And the thing that was number one was some kind of roof structure. So when they made their pre – and so in 2020, there was apparently a rendering made. So of a canopy – it kind of makes Stoke Campbell look a little bit like Texas Stadium, like the old Texas Stadium. Or if you weren't familiar with that, it's like what Miami, uh, pardon me, uh, Hard Rock Stadium has on top of it, except kind of dome shape but with a with a rectangle cut in the middle of it, um, using all the steel beams to kind of carry it up. But they they have a rendering of something like that. It's really crude. It's nowhere near final, but they're now presenting it in 2023 as they kind of try and figure out ways to potentially improve Doe Campbell Stadium, because apparently they're going to be discussing spending up to $255 million 
to do some major renovations, and that would be part of it. And even though it's a roof that isn't a huge part of it, I mean, it might be more just because the 2020 report put it somewhere between like 30 and $60 million. So that might go up to perhaps because people like the low ball up to half of whatever they're going to invest in the stadium. But that'll be interesting. I know that's that's always been a stressor because of how hot it gets um, and, at FSU for games. So that was an interesting one. It's certainly with the success they've been seeing. This is would be the time. This is a time where you where the iron is hot and you strike. You know, I see, Nate, you wanted to add something real quick? Yeah, um, I love Doe Campbell Stadium. I've, I've watched several FSU games there. Uh, one of my best friends is, is a grad and uh, friends with Booster. So uh, I've enjoyed some awesome games there so i think that that would i think it makes sense you know just improve the stadium it, it's awesome as it is it's one of my favorite college football stadiums that i've been to i've been to many but that's definitely one of my favorites um but to tie that together and i won't i don't want to put you on the spot too much to predict uh, your playoff final four but do you I'll, I'll make it i'll propose it this way is FSU one of your four that makes it into the playoffs based off what you're seeing? Well, if they keep playing like they did, absolutely. I think that is they, they are going to be one of the leads to get up there because at this point, you know, of all the teams we've seen so far, they've had the most decisive win against an opponent that, I mean, who knows, as the weeks go on, and maybe LSU is overrated. And, you know, we've certainly seen that pony show many times with many teams over the, over the decades. But, uh, but yeah, heading out of this week one, I mean, they are definitely. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to argue that they showed up and and really demonstrated that Florida State appears to be back. And when Florida State's back, they are they are a scary team to play. So for sure, that yeah. was a great question. Thank you, Jordan Travis, man, uh, Coleman, um, getting verse back, which he could have went to the NFL last year. I mean, he's going to be a first rounder. I mean, I, I think that they got a lot of steam. And Clemson did not look good against Duke, so I think it's wide open for FSU. That's I'm going to put them in my in my uh, four in the playoffs. Um, I, I can't wait to watch more FSU football, but dude, they they're very impressive. Absolutely, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that uh, before this show wraps up. So on that note, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up here. This is RCFB Talk 156. We went for about 94 minutes, which isn't bad. Uh, usually this goes for 60, and then the offseason they would go for about 30. But why not? We love talking college football, love listening to you. And thank you all for joining us. Those of you who contributed by uh, either coming up here to speak or commenting in the replies, it's always nice to hear from you. We, we love college football. We know you do as well. Week one is done. So many exciting storylines. Can't wait for things to continue. We'll see how things develop this next week. We'll be back here every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern to hear your thoughts on college football. So on behalf of everyone at RCFB, my name is Bob Ekayeri. I'm going to hang up and listen. <laughs>